senior Kevin Garnett, junior Kenny, uh, junior Ronnie Fields, combining for almost 50 points a game. Well, they're both NBA basketball players. They will be in the NBA. Look at Garnett, 17 rebounds, and of course Ronnie Fields. He plays so high above the rim. He's Michael Jordan, I think when you talk about being above the rim, he is something to see. Of course, in Chicago, these two kids are like the Pied Pipers of high school basketball. Everybody follows them around. At center for Farragut, a 6'11 senior, 34, Kevin Garnett. And at the other forward for Farragut, a 6'3 junior, number 23, Ronnie Fields. Right back to Ronnie. They came to see. And the crowd still buzzing after the jam by Ronnie Fields. Boy, when he puts him down, he puts him down with authority. Ronnie Fields one on one. I think he's gonna dunk. 
a lot of kids don't have the same mentality to even continue to try and work at a skill if they had it. If it don't come easy enough with a lot of the kids nowadays, from what I've seen, a lot of them give up. Um, you know, for us, we had to keep playing, and, and we had a passion to want to get better and, and have fun doing it. These kids, it's not the same way, and the mentality is not the same. I agree 100%. I got a six-year-old, and I'm on his ass all the time about not giving up. <laughs> right, off, right off the bat, man. It's, it's true, though, you know, because that's what you did. You played against older kids, and the older kids kicked your ass, and you yeah. had to stay right back to the park because you're like, I love this game, but I'm going to try to get him next time. And, and, and that's what made you grow as a person, too, and we're missing a lot of that, too, just in my opinion. Um, that's so you right. talk yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you talked about the two sport thing. You know, a lot of us played a lot of sports, you know, growing up. Um, so was it, it was baseball and basketball were the two that you were playing when you were yeah, younger? Ba yeah, baseball and basketball were the two. What, uh, what, got you, what got you taking basketball serious? Like, when did you decide, like, you know, what age were you thinking, you know what, I'm pretty good at this? Well, it was crazy because, like, I grew up in the Franklin Park area where a lot of young and up-and-coming guys that grew up, um, um, you know, like that and played now. Uh, I forgot one of the kids. Um, dang, I forgot his name. Um, it'll come to me. But where I, we, you know, in the Franklin Park area, it's like um, the baseball field. And then the, over across off the baseball fields, it's, I think like six, like no, three full courts or four full courts. So I wasn't even into it. I just, you know, doing baseball practice at an early age. I think I had to be around 12. Uh, I go to baseball practice and I was just playing baseball and I look up over there and I'm like, wow. Um, I'm like, what are those guys doing? Let me go over here. So after baseball, I just go over there and, and watch them for a little bit. And then what I do after that, I, before baseball practice, I go up there and just take a basketball and shoot a little bit. And I still was into baseball, but then I started liking basketball more once I started seeing what those guys was doing. And it was like self-taught for me. And, you know, especially going to my, my sixth grade year, then my seventh grade year when I, I, I moved, so I transferred schools and I went to trial. I thought I was okay player. Well, then I got I didn't make the team that year. No, I think it was my sixth grade year going to my seventh grade year. I didn't make it. And then my seventh grade year, I made it, um, made the team. I did pretty well. Then my eighth grade year, throughout all of that summer leading up to it in spring, I played with older guys, and it paid off because this when you a young kid and you're oblivious to what's going on. I ended up being the number one eighth grader around. I'm like, oh, out of all the kids, like I you ain't knowing and paying attention until the you know the newspaper come out. So I'm up here like, though I must be pretty good. So then I start really watching TV, watching Jordan, watching. Um, Dominique Wilkins, all these guys on TV. So then I was like, forget baseball. I just started going to the playground and trying a lot of this stuff in these pickup games. Yep. And they thought I was crazy. But 
I'm like, athletically, was able to do it. And from there, it just took off. And then I ended up being, I'm still young and naive to the point. Then I ended up being the number one freshman in the country. I'm like, okay, how do they do these rankings? I ain't know none of that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's got to be a trip. And, you know, you talk a lot about Jordan and Dominique Wilkins. I mean, is it fair to say that those are the guys that you tried to emulate your game after? Or, I mean, as a guard, who who did you study and say, I want to play like this guy? Well, you know, this is the crazy part about that. You know, when I started playing, like, you know, it's just like when you you you, you find something you really like and you just want to do it all the time. I even think the craziest thing with me was it got to a point where I started wanting to go everywhere it was basketball. Anywhere, if I had to walk miles and are oh, y'all playing over there? Oh, okay, they playing over there? Are oh, y'all shutting down? So it was just like players, I was like, starting was like Dominique Wilkins because I watched the, I don't know if you remember the tape the that they used to make the highlight tapes with how like Dominique, Jordan, Magic, I used to watch those, and Dominique was my first, you know, player that I was, like, wearing 21 until, like, I stopped paying attention to Michael Jordan. Yeah. And there, I still like all those guys, you know, Clyde Drexler, Michael, Magic. But MJ stopped being who I stopped patterning a lot out of when I realized I had the athletic ability to do some of the things he was able to do, along with some Dominique stuff as well. Yeah. And I mean, you had over a 50 inch vertical leap. So I'm sure your explosiveness had a lot of God given ability, but I know that there's a lot of hard work along the way because of your body control with it. That's one thing I noticed was just your body control when attacking at the rim. So what kind of training were you doing back then to really maximize that ability? I'm happy you asked that. And not all the podcasts of people that, you know, I talked to former ball players and ball players is, the number one thing that I tell people is a lot of guys that can jump. And it's a lot of guys that probably can jump over people. But the number one thing I think that really compared me more to Mike than anything was body control to avoid charges and offensive fouls and the finish on balance on either side of the basket with either hand. And a lot of that time it's just like I found myself like in the air, it's like I'm up there alone and I'm taking my time to get to the spot I want to get to to release the ball. Yeah. Sometimes it's just understanding the moment and relaxing your mind along with your body to able to do that. And people don't realize, I ain't never seen a lot of people do it, period, consistently. MJ probably was the only person like that could do that all the time as you watch, like, how in the world did he start from the three-point line, end up on the opposite side of the damn basket, not even looking at the ball going? Yeah. I started watching all of that. And I remember the first offensive foul I got in the game. I think I had to be a freshman. And from that point on, I started realizing, okay, that's a charge, okay. Maneuvering my body, I started being able to control patiently on my moves in the air. And that's when the things start changing where it was just like, I can absorb or move around or go around in a, a person in mid air. 
and maneuver my body. And that just was a lot of practicing. But a lot of that stuff start watching on TV. You go to the playground. You try it because in the playground, if you can get away with doing it, it builds a confidence to try it in the game. Yeah. And that's where, for me, it carried over. Yeah. I mean, that was obvious. I mean, anybody that's really watched you, I mean, you can see that control. I mean, you were different. Like, there's a lot of explosive players, but you did it with such finesse and talent. So, I mean, I just really had to ask that question. But another thing I wanted to ask is, you know, of course you're explosive, but, I mean, what would you say was the one thing about your game that really separated you from other players um, as far as, like, intangibles? What, what do you think made you so dominant? I think the moments. I think for me, the mindset of the moments that I never backed away from and I wasn't afraid of the moments to fail, to be successful in those moments. And players, if you know you talk to Shea, a guy, other guys that have seen. I take, for example, the dunk contest when it was Shea, Corey Benjamin, you know, everybody was there at the camp. Not Allen Iverson, KG, that's when I first met Kevin. But those guys, for me, I think Shea did a dunk. It was Dominique-like. It was amazing. Then Corey did something. He took off a little like Clyde Dress. He took off a foot in front of the free throw line. So the whole time, those guys, Ray Allen, those guys looking at me, they seen that they had no expression on my face. So one of the players I never forget that was there from Chicago, Larry Alloway, said, Ronnie, what you going to do? And at that moment, I didn't even flinch or blink. But when I went up to go do that dunk, I didn't decide what I was going to do with the, the finishing part of that dunk till I got mid-air. And that one dunk right there, I didn't even have to do my second or third dunk. The place erupted. I ended up winning. But, but you can people can see my mentality in the moment. I, it, never, it never wavered compared to other guys that are, are panic or rush. Like, for me, I always had that. Just embrace the moment regardless of, you know, you, you know you're going to succeed or fail. And then in games, I knew timing where, okay, if I need to be the best defensive player at this moment or what I need to do just to change the, the tone of the game. And that's a lot of just watching a lot of great players. And at that time, a lot of guys were like, damn, ain't nobody doing none of this stuff he's doing. And you got to think, a lot of the guys ahead of me that Kobe burst on the scene out of nowhere. So if you talk to all the guys like Steven Jackson, Mike Bibby, Tim Thomas, they're like, it was Ronnie first. And then Kobe came in with that our group out of nowhere, you know, to be one of the best players um, around. And he had the same mentality. Like, you people seen it as it play out through his career. You got to have a and like it's not that you're saying this it's an arrogant thing, but to be successful and succeed at any professional level for years and put up numbers and win, you have to have this mentality of like, you know what shit, they're gonna write what they're gonna say anyway, regardless of it's you know, this a good game, a bad game, or we win or lose. And when you realize those things as an athlete. You just go out and say, oh, that's what it's going to be regardless of how great it is. So you take the – when you can learn to accept to take the good with the bad 
and you mentally strong, you'd be more successful because you already know how it goes. And yeah. for me, I already knew how it worked. You know, I think that's a great point. And I think one of the things that we're talking about, like talking about Jordan and Kobe, is they had two things about them. I think the one thing was they saw everything in slow motion. And that sounds like what you're talking about, too. Yeah. You know, and they had that instinct. And I think that's why Kobe gets compared to Jordan a lot. Like they just had that. You know, I mean, Kobe definitely patterned more of his game after Jordan a little bit later in his career, like that turnaround fadeaway that just was unstoppable. Yes. Like, you just can't block that shot, basically. But you saw in his attitude, you know what I mean? And it's that killer instinct. And I and I think talking to you, you know, I'm definitely picking that up for sure. Um, you know, a question I have that I think is interesting, you're talking earlier about how you're finding out you're the number one player in the country, you know, what was high school like? Like, were you like, were you like rock star guy in high school? Like, were people like, you know, oh, did they under, they understood, right? I think like um, you, <laughs> like when you when we finished, you might have to do a little bit more research. This was so crazy before the so social media era. Yeah, for us being kids, we looking at this as just playing basketball, right? So your mind still, you still getting it done. Because you can tell when you're a kid, when you're still getting it done, what happens when you know it's not bothering you because you still focus on going out there and you're not letting the hype and all other stuff get to you. Most kids at that age would be like arrogant, focusing on what the press was saying. Or the meeting. I wasn't even thinking about nothing. I was just happy to get on the court and what I call perform. Right. To see the impact that I made. And I look to get out there, win, and do that every chance I got, you know, when I got on the floor. So at that time, it was, I mean, like, you could I mean, I was already like built that brand and name. And then Kevin came in. And now it was like a, we was a Shaq and Kobe duel in high school that was unmatched. And it was like, we could, we go anywhere. I mean, our game was to a point where this how it went. It was, okay, we need to get over there and see Fields and Garnett, and then we need to get over there and see Jordan and the Bulls. So it was like, even though at the time we still had Sammy Sosa and all these great baseball players, Frank Thomas, they weren't, they weren't thinking about those people, period, here. Our games were so lined up to a point, our price, ticket price was going, in high school, 100, 300, 500, 700, 800. Oh, and the line was out the door. So we would sometimes have to move it to smaller colleges. Wow. That's amazing. Just, yeah, we sold out. I mean, we it was we had people travel from all over the place just to come watch. That's why we got in our high school here in Chicago. We got these murals where – a lot of people just travel just to go see that, take pictures, and go to the school we both played at. Yeah. Yeah, that makes – I mean, it makes complete sense. I mean, Chicago basketball, New York City basketball. I mean, there are certain places in the country where it's like – I mean, Texas football. Texas high school football is insane. Oh, so yeah, the, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's places where they respect at – a at, you know, uh, even the younger divisions, like, going, they know what they're seeing. And because you guys bring it. I mean, that's the big thing. Um, the AAU, I want to talk about that for a second. Um, obviously, AAU is not what it was like when you were playing. Um, 
but how do you think AU helped you and what are your thoughts on it on how it's evolved? You know, fun. you know, when I played AU, I thought it was just like maybe like five teams. It wasn't any, and this is the thing. I didn't get involved with it to probably what? I don't even think I played it my junior and senior year. Right. I was at Nike camp. So I think I played it my maybe freshman year. But it wasn't big like that. It wasn't it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. And then now, probably over the past like ten years, it's everybody have a team. It's it was like an underlying way of people to basically cut out the middleman. Street agents came more powerful. Right. Because you have a team. You have one of the best players, the best players. Shoe companies got smarter and start branding the kids a lot earlier to get they, you know, get get their foot in before these kids eventually get to college or get to the pros where they maybe can get these shoe deals done. So it changed a lot from when we did. It started a little bit with us, but not like that. Maybe you know, they, Nike sponsored values, right? Like it devalues it with all the all the teams, do you think? Like it's not oh, a special. It hurt. This is what it does. So for me, I when I got into it and I started doing it with my program, I say developmental. Well, this is the thing that people and parents got to realize. If your kid is one of the best players, and especially in a major city, it don't matter if he go play AAU ball. Because if you're in a major city and you're playing well, you're going to be one of the best players in that city, and that city going to write about you. These people think in their mind, instead of really looking saying, your kid might be a Division two, Division three player, ain't nothing wrong with that. They think, oh, I need to try to play on this team or I play with this team, they're going to get me, you know, it's going to get me seen. The bad part with these people ain't realizing you're not even playing on that team, and those coaches are not there to see you. So if I'm a coach and I'm like, all right, I've seen them play on this travel team. But then college coaches are smart. They're like, all right, well, let's go see what he like at his high school. But then I go to your high school, and you don't even get off the bench. That don't look right to me. Yeah. Great point. You know, I'm like, well, he look like he played here, but what's going on here? Because those college coaches that know – which top players and which teams to look at where it's a point of that's high quality and these kids going to be able to do it and they also stars on their own team in high school. Right. A lot of these parents don't get, like, how are you going to be a star on the AAU team, AAU team, but then you don't even play on your own high school team. Right. Ain't what college coach going to say that because they know things can be, like you said, watered down. Really no defense, no strategy, no game plan. It's just your game plan and whatever you got your kids doing against another team to, you know, continue to just play and work on their skill. So what we do is just put them in a situation where we use spring and summer where guys just work on your crowd to get yourself better, to be able to get more playing time at your school and work on your game where I'm not going to restrict you. I'll teach you things. But you got not, you can't be afraid to go out there and put these things to the test and use the spring and summer. I don't need to make a name for myself or a championship. This for you all. Right. Yeah. But 
and that's basically how I run my program. I don't get caught up where, uh, well, you know, we need to play here or play there. Well, you ain't one of the top 100 players in the country neither. <laughs> so sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think some of these kids, and I'll tell you this, from a business standpoint, and it helped a lot of people because a lot of these kids look at Baller's Life and they want to be on there. Yeah. Parents yeah. willing to pay to be on Baller's Life, but then their kid don't even play at their own high school. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of it's social media driven too. A lot of kids are, you know, yeah. stuck with the highlights and not learning how to play the game, which is, you know, too bad. You know, social media is good for exposure, but if you're using it the wrong way, you're not making yourself any better. So I think you, you make some really good points with everything with AU. Um, you know, a question I wanted to ask, I kind of wanted to go back to the Nike camp really quick because we've heard so much about you from these Nike camps, but I mean, how did you feel that you, where you ranked at those camps? Cause I know that there's guys like AI, there's KG um, and everybody spoke so highly of you. So where do you personally feel like you ranked uh, next to those guys? See, this is like, for me and those guys, they go to talk with a good different of, you know, um, good arrogance because they rightfully so earned it. But for me, I still looked at it like a little kid that, that played in a playground when I when I was out there. <laughs> Only thing changed was just like I'm going against some of the best around. But I tell this story to people. When you know it was like I was oblivious to what was going on at Nike camp. So, you know, they have, I think, three levels of, of for you. I think they have a freshman all-star game, which that's not on TV. But everybody, you know, they have levels. They have freshman, sophomore, junior, senior all-star game. So the big one, of course, the seniors, that's on TV. So I'm like, I'm happy to be there. I'm like, oh, I make, you know, they call the names out. I'm like, okay. I made the freshman, you know, I'm there as one of the freshmen, all-star game. I'm happy to look forward to it. They ain't called my name. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I know I balled out. You know, AI was my backcourt guard. Me and him was the two starting guards. So then they called sophomores. I'm like, yeah, I am going to my sophomore year, so I should be on this. Man, they ain't called my name again. I'm like, damn, did I play that bad? <laughs> So I'm up here like, what the hell going on? You know, your face changed. And you know, that's your class. Yeah. So you're like, what's really going on? So then they call the juniors. I'm like, I know I ain't, you know, going to make it that class. And then I'm like, they call two juniors. Was it two or three? I know it was Kevin and maybe Mercer. Or so, I think those two. So I'm like, oh, man. And then they call the seniors. And they called my name, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was the only sophomore to ever make that game. Yeah. That's, that, I mean, I that's sophomore to ever make that game. And that's when I knew, like, okay, I must have done something special. Yeah. And to be out there with all those guys, and I was the only sophomore with two juniors and the rest all seniors. Right. And is the Nike camp where you and KG got connected? Because he transferred in to Farragut Academy, right? Yeah, yeah. So only reason that worked out the way it did, by being the top player at the time in my class, my coach was invited there too. 
He okay. coached Kevin. He didn't coach me there at the camp. He coached Kevin them team. I mean, they was like, shit, damn, you're 12-0. I mean, wasn't nobody beating that big-ass team. We know, me and AI know we weren't going to beat them. They was just too big. And Antoine Jameson, KG, I mean, they was running up and down with a dunk fest over there. So, yeah, my coach coached them then. So, we still really – we talked a little bit. But I guess my – you know, him and my coach kept in touch. They kept this way away from me because they weren't sure. You know, you know, you're talking about one of the best big men in the country coming to your city. You ain't going to pay too much attention. So, I guess um, early that summer, I'm out here with a couple of NBA guys and a friend of ours who was doing a rap video. And um, – we was participating in it, doing some basketball stuff. And then I see my coach put up. I'm like, what? Oh, coach here. Then I see Kevin get out the car. I'm like, what the hell he doing here? <laughs> and then he was like, no, I'm here to stay. I'm like, oh, man, you kidding me? He's like, yeah. So we end up putting him in the video. He's like, man, I'm not even in Chicago. A good hot 20 minutes. I'm in a rap video. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was crazy. So he uh you know after that man didn't we did nobody know and had to like look at it and say we was gonna do what we was gonna do. We had a feeling on what we could do, but that first game we played, I kid you not, I think we have probably combined that game close to about like nineteen dunks. Just a dunk for us, yeah. And that was before we hit the city. We started our first tournament together was downstate Illinois. And that's when it started to make its way around. And it was um it was amazing. It was like just took off from there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys clearly had a great chemistry and connection, but um, I mean, what was your and KG's relationship? Like you guys must have had a really close relationship to gel like that on the court. So what was it about the two of you that made it work? Because sometimes you put two stars on the court, it doesn't always work. I'm happy you said that. Um for me, like I said, I'm still a young puppy. Even though Kevin's a year older than me, you know, but I looked at it like this. I looked at it like this. Shoot, I'm following his lead. Even though he coming to my city, I'm secure with who I am and what I've done already. Yeah. So, hey, hey, Kevin, it's your team right now. You know, I got another year. So, that year, Kevin went Mr. Basketball. We win, we win city, uh, go down state, and we had a great year. The next year, I learned so much from him. And I was like, I had to carry the torch because I heard all the noise. You know, um, while Kevin gone, you ain't going to be able to do this, you ain't going to be able to do that. You know, and still had a dominant senior year as well inside my car accident. But the biggest thing that people don't realize was it, wasn't, it was easy for me to sacrifice and say, and you got to do it. If you, listen, if you're secure with what you do and you want to win and go out there and play hard, and you know this guy's, like, better. But you know what you both bring? Just accept the role. Yeah. That's why we were so great together. Because I ain't got no, like, I need to be. I'm like, no, we're doing this thing together. 
Smart. And that's what made it work. That's what made it work for us. No, it's smart. It's really smart. I mean, you talked about your senior year. Your stat line was insane. I mean, 32 points a game, over 12 rebounds, five assists, four blocks, four steals, four dunks. And you were what? You said about 6'3", right? Yeah, 6'3". I mean, that's insane numbers to be putting up at, at that height. I mean, obviously, you got the 50-inch vertical, so that's where you're getting those blocks. Um, <laughs> you, were you thinking about going straight to the NBA like, like, like KG did, or were you, were you thinking about going to college? Or what were you thinking about that senior year? This is what I got to that point. When I seen Kevin leave and then being at the time that you can actually do that and already yeah. had the chance of playing against those pros, so that wasn't a problem with me then. So I was like, oh, okay. But then it was just like asking, could I make that same jump? And I could, but probably not at that high level. Probably where Kobe went that year, depending on if I was still healthy, between that 15 and 20 range, yeah. That's where they probably had me going then before my accident. But, yeah, I was – when I, I – you know, I wanted to stay home because – I love Chicago, and I wanted to put DePaul back on the map at the time. You know, so I was, like, torn in between. But all the things of the decisions to be made at that time, especially being a young kid, it all kind of crumbled at the same exact time of accident. You can't go play now. Accident, uh, you can't go to summer school. You can't finish this. So a lot of that stuff kind of, like, boom, blew up all at once. And then it got to the point, this is when you know a person, you know, is blessed to be mentally tough. You have a choice to make. When all of this you know in front of you is taken away, it's where you go. You give up. You start doing things, you, do, you know, guys drinking, just stop. You give up on the game. You give up on life because you are so high and you take a fall at that moment some guys could not handle that. Well, I've seen a lot of guys can't handle it. Yeah. For me, I was able to handle it, be naive to be young, and be determined to be to just play, stay healthy, and just get an opportunity to play, regardless if it was in the NBA, but just come back as, as best I could. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, think about your age at that time, too. I mean, think about where we are with our age now compared to then. I mean, that's pretty impressive. To, to be that young and to be like, now nah, this is an end to me. Cause I'm sure your doctors probably told you, you know, maybe you're not gonna play basketball again. You're not gonna do this and that, but it's like that will, that desire that you have is something that they can't put on a chart. You know what I mean? And they was nervous. A lot of NBA guys was doctors was nervous when I had to go in and I have, I have been going in a pre-draft camp with the plate freshly put in my neck. Wow. So you got to think as these doctors, seeing me from team doctors that's the first thing they're attacking and I was trying my best to be honest to like grin to not let them see when they was doing what they was doing hurting yeah because it was a fresh plate out you know you know you got a fractured neck and they knew it and they it's just like it's a chance if he get hit back here or something this kid can be paralyzed so right. so many other things going through my head. I think what helped me more than anything is being young Yeah. at the time of hopefully hoping, you know, I have, you know, plenty of life ahead. So yeah. that kind of helped through that process as well. 
how long was that recovery, if you don't mind me asking? And what kind of support were you getting from your coaches, your fellow players? Um, any celebrities oh, reaching out to you, stuff like that? I mean, I mean, Bob Costas was by my house, by my bedside. Jesse Jackson, of course, Kevin. His first game in back in Chicago against the Bulls. I happened to have my accident that night before, so wow. he left, came up there. I mean, the support and mail from around the country was amazing. Magic. I mean, uh, McDonald's All American people, the guys, you know, uh, from the McDonald's game. It was. You know, that's when you know you had an impact that felt, and you was it was bigger than you. Yeah, yeah, and it it also says a lot about you how you had for all these people to come and show their support too. So beyond the basketball player, it also says a lot about you. But um, I also heard some stories saying that you were dunking while wearing the halo. So I mean, it sounds like you're really motivated to come back, and I mean that's incredible how you did, but. What adjustments did you have to make to your game after the injury to be effective? Well, to be honest, I was out there with the mindset of like, just want to get back on the floor. And I didn't, and, and I still, okay, I, I got a little tentative after that. And I wasn't playing with the same aggression, but I was still playing and being effective, but not with the same aggression to worry about a little bit of re-injuring it, which I end up re-injuring it again, which I was just like, come on now. So that, it played a role in my mind a little bit. Yeah. And, um, I mean, for you, going into the draft process, I mean, I, I know that you went un undrafted, but did you get any workouts going into, I think it's the 98 draft that you entered? Did you, it, you uh, at least get some workouts? Well, at that time, it was too much other negative stuff going on around me and some of the people that I had around me at the time at the young guys, you know, the NBA is smart, you know, they're going to look at everything. It's just not the basketball, but the people at the time that was around me that they didn't deem was good for me and decision makings that I had made that was had the best interest. So yeah. that kind of played a role as well. And that's something I learned from that standpoint, moving forward throughout life that I limit a lot of people like that away from me. Then I realized that was, you know, one of the bigger reasons along with the injury that a lot of teams kind of shied away from. Me. Yeah. And a lot of kids don't understand. It's no different from, you know, I tell people in any workplace you go, especially when people invested millions of dollars into you as a franchise player or just to, to carry their business in the right manner where you, you know, you can't have those kind of mishaps, especially on a, on a stage that big, like yeah. the NBA. So a lot of those things, you know, I learned and tried to carry from that standpoint to be as professional moving forward as I could um, and learn on the fly um, from that. And it helped me out a lot moving forward now with what I do with a lot of the youth and trying to explain to these young men and women on certain things where being on time and, and the respect and, um, you know, having a passion for what you want to achieve. So, you know, I learned a lot from that. 
Yeah. And I was just going to say your experiences are so valuable to the younger kids coming up because I'm a coach myself. And I mean, having those experiences means so much to the, to these kids, but to have somebody of your stature to be able to look up to and listen to, I mean, that's valuable and that's going to do a lot of good. Um, you know, one of the things that surprised me was how great you played in the CBA and how successful of a career you had overseas and you still didn't get that look. So, I mean, were you at least getting any feedback on what you had to do to get to the league or was it everything I, going on in your outside life that still just kind of shadowed that um, opportunity? A lot of stuff was going on. I think, and at the time also being in the position of like, put it like this, it was another thing also played the fact of the timing of the era of which position he played. You know, and I wasn't a point guard. I was more of a two guard. But at that time, two guards, they looked to be, had to be at least 6'5 to 6'7. So that was one of the things as well, um, you know, in that era as well. So it was a lot of factors went into it. Um, and, you know, some teams, and, you know, but this is the biggest thing I tell people. You know, one thing for yourself to feel that you are, you know, could have been one of the best NBA players around. Another thing is your peers. And you're talking about when I say my peers at that time who still speak highly of me are the, the Tim Duncans, the KGs, the Steven Jacksons, the Mike Bibbies. Those goes, it goes to Tim Thomas. It goes on and on. And even the younger guys and even some of the older NBA guys. So for me, you know, I don't really have like, you know, a sour taste in my mouth from that standpoint of you know, just understanding the circumstance of what happened around my career during that time. You know, that's a great point because when we talked to Espon Weaver, he was the same way. He was like, the respect that I have from the players is, it means a lot to me. And I, I believe, you know, I mean, I, I can speak for Zach too. I mean, when you have people that you respect as a, in your same field that respect you, I mean, that goes a long way. And, and yeah. knowing, yourself knowing that yes I could definitely have played in this league I think you know is is almost enough in a way you know but having that respect from your peers is huge um so I like asking this question because I think it's just it's fun and it gives people an understanding um you got to play overseas for quite a bit of time right um yeah you had to change your game I'm assuming a little bit because the overseas game's a little different the crowds are kind of wacky and wild out there um yeah but you, but did you take it like some of the guys did, where it was almost like a paid vacation? You were getting to, you know, expand your mind and see all these great, you know, places overseas. You know, did you? What, what was your experience like? This is what people got to understand about playing overseas, especially with some of the better teams. You got to perform. Yeah, and that's like consistently. If not, your mindset much as you want to embrace the moment of beautiful countries, you can be gone on a flight at the next morning at five o'clock. Wow. And a lot of people, <laughs> about that you set up to get ready to say, Hey, I like to go here. Or I like this. They like, you look up, there's another American and flew over already to replace you. You know, you're in <laughs> trouble, right? Cause you only had like, you only had like two, uh, two Americans on the team, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Two yeah. Americans on the team, but it got to a point where some guys were smart that knew they was probably NBA talent, but 
European talent, they would get married, be a citizen. So now uh, you're really having three and four Americans on the team. <laughs> That's amazing, right? That's hysterical. That's smart, though, when you think about it, because if, if you yeah. know your translates there, you get that citizenship, you're not an American anymore. Yeah, so that's, that's what they the said. The yeah, they started doing that all around the world. That's smart. Every team, everybody that had uh, basketball clubs was doing that. That's smart. That's very smart. Hey, here's an interesting question. So being a guard, did you play did you play point or did you play two guard when you were over there? I played two. I was I felt you know, I was more of a two. Not I could pass the ball um as well from you know, but I was more of a two. I was a scorer. Was it hard for you translation and barrier wise language when you played? Not I mean a little bit, but really sometimes they have a translator for you. You know, and then yeah. the course, at the time, you know, before all this other stuff, you take DVDs and movies with you. I mean, I mean, at the time, I wish they had Facebook and all this other stuff. It would have saved a little bit more money because phone calls, calling <laughs> home, were crazy. Oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't even imagine, man. I can't even imagine all the calling cards for our for our younger listeners. There were things called calling cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, you remember? Yeah, that, right? That's so true, man. I'm like looking at all this stuff they have now, man. I'm like, I wish they had this back then. Oh man, right? <laughs> you got a girlfriend back home, boy, that phone bill is not gonna be cheap, right? <laughs> not at all. Now you time you your phone can go with you. It's it's just changed so much. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh we we had Marcus Banks on the show a couple of weeks, and, and uh, he was talking about some of the crazy things that happen overseas when you're playing. So, I mean, you must have a good story. I mean, what's the craziest shit that you've ever experienced playing overseas? I remember, okay, like, I think we was playing. I think I was playing for Pauk up in Thessaloniki, Greece. So, we had a game in Athens. So, we get, we, we get ready. I'm like, all right. Before you even get to the court, the fans is really acting a fool. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff they were saying to me, I'm like, golly, what I do to y'all? I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> and I get you not in a huddle. Why the coach drawing up saying we gotta do this? Some scream across the floor, hit me right in the forehead, and now I'm bleeding. Wow. Oh yeah, they throwing stuff. I'm up here like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, forget it. I'm going to play anyway. I'm, shit, I'm from Chicago. We see this crazy mess all the time. So the player's like, I'm like, shit, I ain't going to let that bother me. That's part of what it is. So after that, I think the next day, two days later, we had a game at home. So I think Toby Bailey was on this team from an island over there in Greece that he played with. And they, I ain't, our fans, not only did they beat up their coach, they beat up their assistant. They just, I ain't never seen nothing. Like I said, listen, what the hell wrong with you people? Wow, that's insane. Y'all Oops. take this like soccer. Like, right. it's like a war, uh, literally a real war against these teams. That's nuts. I said, that's we don't take it that far at that's all. Nuts. Now, did they, here's a question. Um, because we haven't asked this one, and I just kind of – it just popped in my head after you saying that. 
So obviously it was team versus team and they get crazy about it like they do with soccer. Did they target the Americans too more? No, they target the Americans like that. They normally they'll say a lot of crazy stuff to us just yeah. to see if they can rattle you. Right. And I've seen some some guys from other, you know, cities that and been on teams with me get rattled, like afraid yeah. to perform. Right. That happened one time in Venezuela. I said, man, you all right? He, he just froze up. He was on the next plane the next morning back home. Back home, right? Couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle he it. Could. That's, that's interesting. I was just curious about that because we hear a lot of those stories about them throwing cigarette lighters and coins. Yeah. And all that crazy stuff. And it's yeah. we got the weird all thing, like trying to play through that is just is absolutely nuts. So when you figured out when you wanted to retire um, – from basketball, what did you, what were you thinking about doing? Did you have any plans when you were knowing like it's time to shut it down? Like, was there anything that you like, you know, getting into coaching or going to school or did you have any plans of what you want to do? Yeah. So like when I, it's just crazy. When they say, you know, when you want to retire, you feel it. Yeah. I was playing in Venezuela and I don't know. It's just like after this one game, third game, right into this new season, and um, all of a sudden, I just, I don't know, I just felt like, all right, this is about it for me. Yeah. So, you know, and then I had an option to probably play another three years. But I got back, and then all of a sudden, I started getting a lot of calls and people coming up that ain't seen me consistently in years because I've been out of the country a lot. Yeah. So a lot of fans and people in Chicago, they come to me want to do um, documentaries. They come to me want me to run a travel program coaching so i told my let me look at a couple of things so i started watching a lot of the youth ball and i'm like wow this stuff has changed yeah so i say i'm gonna have to do a little research and what i can do to blend in with this youth of the day and a little bit of my experience from a past on how i was taught but understand these fragile kids yeah so that's when i got into coaching the skill development um teaching people some of my strengths and what to look at on the floor, how to attack the basket, how to read a defender. So I train and I also run a basketball program and camp and travel program. Awesome. Yeah, and it's been, you know, continuing to grow over the past like 10 years. So you're giving back, which is awesome. Because, I mean, when, you, when you're a lifer, you're a lifer. You just choose – where that next path takes you, I think. You know what I mean? And, and you know that you can get back to the kids. And it's almost like I'm a teacher personally. I teach music. And it's funny because you do make a good point. The newer generation is definitely different. And you have to yeah. learn, have to pivot with them at first. But yes. But once you gain their trust and their understanding, then you can kind of mold them to how you want to mold them in terms of like learning and respecting your craft, whether it's basketball or music, you know, you, you can get that. You know, when they start asking you questions more, you know that you have them. You know what I mean? You know, you're like, all right, good. Now they're listening. Now I got them. Now they can, you know, because you're right. Like Zach talked about, we were talking with um, uh, Len Elmore the other day, and he, we were talking about how rebounding is just a lost art and kids don't know how to box out. And, and Zach was talking about that because he coaches and he said one of the hardest things that for him to teach is, is boxing out and understanding positioning. Well, with a referees, and they also call it different now. You can't ride a person out on the box yeah. out. So that makes it more difficult 
to right. use your back, your leverage um, on a taller person. And they build, they don't call over the back no more at all. Wow. It's just like a person just out jump you, out quicken you to the ball. So it's really not a technique, you know, in terms of like it used to be when you boxed out. Yeah. So you got to teach guys to do certain things to secure the rebound. Um, and nowadays it's more scoring the ball going in the basket more often than not. So you're taking it out of bound anyway. Right. So, I mean, yeah, that's one of the biggest things with my kids. I was like, look, get good position. Don't ride them person out on their knees. Just try to keep in front and attack the ball when this guy, you got him on your back. And attack yeah. the ball. Don't wait to attack the ball when he got in a position where he might can out jump you a lot faster and jump to the ball. So you got to teach him so much, so different now when it's like, Sit on those knees, box them out, ride them out of the paint. You do that yep. now, and that's a foul. Isn't that crazy, man, how much the game's Not changed like that? And maybe that's why yeah. you don't see a lot of, you know, center and power forward play like we used to in the NBA. You know what I mean? And that's the reason why, because you would have to do those those bigger guys. Oh, but yeah. because the athleticism and the length of the guys now, you know, they get them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no, that I mean, that makes complete sense. Um, I, me and Zach both feel your story is super important, and you have a documentary out called Bounce Back, the Ronnie Field story. Can you tell our listeners where they can go find that so they can educate themselves on you? Well, that's the next thing that we was doing in terms of, like, part of it that we – a lot we did finish, and then it's been the other phase of, like, the basketball, the ups and downs or the early parts, and now – filming a lot of the ending parts of what I do now over the past 10 years. So we're trying to, you know, get integrate all this together by not, cool. not cool. making it so long. So we're going to probably have that back up again, probably out the um, Kevin's is done. Cause we just got to filming for his too. Okay. Um, that's like a week ago and his, I think may come out in May. Okay. Okay. So when then we continue to finish our version because Kevin in there, Bibby, Vince Carter, you know, so yeah, we still working on the other part of that. Cool. Very cool. We're going to do a documentary on how Mike Bibby got so big muscle wise. Man, <laughs> I, I like, I asked dude, I like, what are you trying to do? <laughs> like, you trying to get in the world's strongest man competition? What? <laughs> Little yeah, WWF or something. <laughs> he's, I know, he's I'm like, huge, dude. I can't believe. I, I know. I told him that. Like, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good. My good friends, man. You know, I love his mom. She's amazing. She nice. always been my whole life a, a big supporter. Um, you know, Bibbs. You know, family. So, yeah, you know, like a lot of those guys, like how their little brotherhood back from back then. We, you know, me, Corey Benjamin, Stephen Jackson, Bibby. Um, Tim Thomas, you know, Coach Kobe, you know, he rest in peace. Like that group was special, you know, like that was, you know, it was a special Jermaine O'Neal. Like our group was a special class that year. I mean, every guy, every guy you're mentioning, you know, great career. I mean, every yeah. guy 
mentioned that our listeners will definitely know for sure. Hey, we're going to do a little lightning round with you real quick. Zach's going to ask questions. It's just like a one or two word answer, just a quick little round. If you don't mind, Zach, do you want to take it away? Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, the first question is, who would you say plays the most like you in today's NBA? Oh, man. Um, I would look at, like, watching a little bit of Donovan Mitchell along with a little bit of Westbrook. Um, and then what's the guard from Denver that had amazing playoff? Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray um, as well. I'd say those three, those three for sure. Okay. But, you know, I, I'm a Donovan Mitchell yeah, yeah, I, I, I like him. I love Westbrook as well, but Donovan Mitchell with a little bit more under control in terms of how he go about his. Um, I love Westbrook, you know, his passion, his determination, and, and what he brings. But, I mean, I'm going to say, like, Donovan Mitchell will think a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree because of the body control, like we talked about earlier. I totally see that for sure. Yeah. Um, You've had some incredible dunks throughout your career. Is there one that comes to mind that's your favorite? Oh, man. It's the one you see right here on my shirt right now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it. Awesome. <laughs> that's jumping over. This kid used to play for Illinois. His name Sergio McClain. He about 6'5". And then I showed Steven Jackson the hoodies like, Ronnie, you know that look like the Jordan logo with your legs spreaded over them. And I didn't pay attention to that until a week ago when he said it and looked at the shoe and the shirt. Once you look at it closely, it's just like the Jordan logo. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that, that's, that's one of the ones that's like memorable. That's amazing. I got, I got to get me one of those hoodies for sure. I know uh, we've, we've been getting ready to put them online probably in a month. Oh, I'll, I'll be buying one. I'll be getting a few of those. Don't you worry. <laughs> I, I will be yeah. first in line. <laughs> yeah, we better put them up, and you'll see them. We better stop putting them out. Because <laughs> I got uh, a Tim Thomas one. We sent uh, Matt uh, Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson one to um, all that smoke. Because um, the producers of Showtime is the one that's doing that did their show, but he also doing Kevin documentary. Oh, cool! Yeah. Awesome, nice. Uh, next question is, in your opinion, who is the best dunker of all time, other than Ronnie Fields, of course? Man, look, I, listen, I tell Vince. And, you know, I love Mike and I love Dominique. But I already tell Vince. And Vince, people used to say, man, why Vince won't dunk against you? To me, Vince Carter is the greatest dunker ever. Yep. Like, I, I don't – and I tell people, any person that would wanted to challenge me, and I'm going to tell them, like, look, you all wouldn't beat me. Even you guys dunk in the day. But Vince is the best dunker of all time. Like, I don't – all that other stuff, people – because this is the thing. Not only did you do it in the dunk contest, but you do those same dunks on people in the game. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, that, for me, that's my criteria. Yeah. He took it to the next level, too, when you think about it. I mean, you had Dr. J, you had Michael yeah. and Dominique, and then you had Vince. And if then you really, yeah. really think about it, you know what I mean? And, and I he, love all those guys. Jordan awesome. has a player all around, but Vince is my favorite dunk of all time. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
and he didn't have to jump over mascots on segways and shit. He was doing that in actual game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's, My point exactly. He's he's jumping over Frederick Weiss instead. So. Yes, yeah, seven <laughs> three person in a, a real game. Yeah. <laughs> and then I dunked on Alonzo Morning. That almost made me cry for him. Hey, Alonzo Morning's my guy. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about <laughs> that. <laughs> that, that. That was my guy growing up. <laughs> Man, but he that dunk because that same game, Richard Jefferson dunked on him too. <laughs> All right, like, I'm, I'm, poor, poor, poor Zoe. I'm like, damn, that was a, a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Zoe, if you're listening, I'm I'm sorry, but. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> What is what is your main focus or most important advice when you're training young athletes? Like, what is your go-to main focus? You know, I, I remember people used to say, like, when with a guy like Jordan and he's, you know, was in control in Washington and he look at players and you always want to put them in a mindset of yours. But then you realize a lot of them ain't built mentally like that or some physically. But what you want to always advise to give them is the work ethic, work hard, um, practice on your weaknesses, read, try to pay attention to what's going on when you're out there, not just drum the ball up and down and just, you know, trying things. See your target of whatever you're trying to do out there and always this. Number one thing Jordan always said, know what you're going to do before you get the ball. You know, yeah. so that's some of the things I kind of share with a lot of the youth that I, I work with. Yeah, and that's important, too. Um, here, here's a fun one. What's your favorite movie that Kevin Garnett's in? <laughs> it's not even a movie, but, uh, like, I like the movies did with Adam Chandler um, as well, but I think it's the, the funniest thing I've seen him in was the Jamie Foxx show. Okay. Yeah, okay. when he was on the Jamie Foxx show. I, <laughs> I liked him in uh, Rebound, The Legend of Earl Manigold. Adam played Wilt Chamberlain. I'm like, I'm like that's a skinny-ass Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> but, but, but he did all right. He did all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you better hope KG don't listen to this show, man. <laughs> he hears this, he's going to come kick your ass. He's still a, he, look, he only put on a couple more pounds since high school. <laughs> uh what's your what's your go-to spot for food in chicago best food in chicago what is it i'd be wrong about you know i'm on podcast but i'm gonna say you all have to go to um lou malnati's pizza first okay you know, got the, the, the best pizza around we got a lot of great restaurants here but that's one and then portillo's Okay. Other place to go here. And um, if you want to go for steak or someplace like that, is either Hugo's or Gibson's. Okay. Yeah, because I'm so, going to be in Chicago soon. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes right now on where to go eat. Yeah, you've been asking a lot of food questions on these nightly rounds. I've been <laughs> I know. Hey, I, we're almost ready to travel soon. I'm trying to find the spots. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You go like Hugo's, um, you know, or Gibson's, the same place beautiful um if you like i tell you where you have a variety of choices of where i, where I live it's like you got mike dicker's restaurant you got oh, jordan's yeah. right yep but those other restaurants you know i don't you know they they better um so 
in the Old Brook area, Yorktown area. It's not that far from the airport. And they got everything from the malls, everything you need to see. Nice. Um, we, we just talked about KG. I, I just thought of this question really quick. What's your favorite Kevin Garnett story if you had to pick one? One that you can share. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> okay. The first time we actually, like, when I – no, I didn't even tell you this part. Of so, Nike had a thing called a 540 shootout. This was the year when a lot of the top high school players got suspended. But every every state had their own rule on what a year, four games, five games, six games. Because of Nike basically flew us out to the base in Portland and basically just let us do our thing shopping. But we was also out there to play. But when I first arrived, I didn't realize you don't know who your roommates is. They just give you a key. And then that's when I walked in and it was him. He was my roommate. So as I'm tired, Kevin's still talking. He's like, what is it like in Chicago? I'm like, it's good. It's fun. It's, you know, play very physical style of play. You know, a little rough at times, this and that. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to sleep. You know, this dude still was talking. <laughs> I'm half sleep. He's still talking. So – what happens when after that, like, this is how I got him back. So as we continue to become close, I knew Kevin started, like, he'll fall asleep or he'd get mad, he'd get grouchy if you don't let him get sleep. So what I started doing was hitting him with gym shoes. I started throwing shoes at him in the middle and he just get pissed off the whole <laughs> So you started him, you started him with that attitude then, didn't you? <laughs> I go, yeah. I right? Listen, I can tell y'all a story. We took him to an area called um, – it was um, Marcy Center at the time. So, in this, and this is the thing. When you go in there to play, you better go in there with the mindset of don't ever think to open your mouth to say foul. It's almost like playing in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin came in there playing, and I said, listen, man, if you get body slammed, that's not a foul. If you get knocked into this stage, that's not a foul. That's normal basketball here. <laughs> He's like, what the hell kind of? I was like, man, man, you know, you, the dude's nose busted. That ain't a foul. So you had to embrace playing like that. Yep. <laughs> you had to embrace playing like that and play through the physicality. And I never forget the first game in the in the in the um in our season in the division. We played Marshall High School. So, you know, they have no one as big as Kevin, but it's almost like chopping down a tree to a certain extent to when he got his first taste of the Red West, our conference. Man, this when that game was over, we won it. But, you know, he passed out in the, the locker room. Wow. He's like, God damn, they don't call fouls. I said, no, I told you that. Wow. I said, we're going to go. This is going to be a long ride. And from there – you know, we had the right people around to make sure he good. You ain't got no problems. Ain't nobody going to do nothing to you. So then he started seeing those things that, like, man, we got he got a lot of backing up here. Then all of a sudden, that's when the trash talk started. <laughs> that's when now, because a lot of people see Kevin. That wasn't, you know, Kevin was, like, joking. No, it's my wife so mean. I'm like, Kevin ain't mean. You just sitting there listening to him when he's not even talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing 
Yeah, like, they, you know, they you know got, the guys get caught up with Kevin talking and saying stuff, and he's not even talking to them. Yeah, you all just happen to be there as he's making all this noise, and it sounds like he's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and he that's got amazing. these guys every time. That's, yeah, that's so amazing to hear. Kevin Garnett's my favorite player. I, I was a big Celtic fan, so hearing this story is just amazing. It's 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 really cool to kind of hear the roots of where he came from. So I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, the no last problem. question. The last question I have is, uh, what's your favorite basketball memory? If you had to pick just one. Oh man. Um, I think for me, or just in general. No, uh, for you. Yeah, just for oh, you. Oh, man, probably watching, you know, for me is watching Kevin, like, win his first championship, um, you know, after doing everything he did in Minnesota and, you know, getting to that point of, like, realizing, like, he's a champion and he won't stop till he got to that point. But then to win it, you know, I won championship. And it's gratifying when a lot of people, you know, like you put the work in and the time, and then when you achieve it, you're like, damn, you know, all this paid off. But for him and to leave Minnesota, a place he loved and sweated, just, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to try to get them, just happened to be in the Tough Western Conference at the time when Shaq and Kobe was around and Chris Webb and all those teams. But to get, you know, to get one and still be healthy and dominant, at the time was more gratifying because he just won a person that was on for the ride. He was the best player on that team that year. Yeah, yeah I agree for sure. Um, I wanted to say real quick, thank you for being so generous with your time. I mean, we super enjoy talking to you today for sure. I know I can speak for Zach for that. Is there anything that you would want to promote or add before we get you out of here? Yeah. You know, for us, you know, just like, you know, like you say with the shirts, we're going to have them coming out soon. You know, if you know, go to like my Instagram, we're going to probably start putting out these Ronnie Fields legendary shirts, you know, from where I grew up. And the tales in these, in these T-shirts is going to tell the story of everything that I've been through through my journey. And we're going to have them like almost in like a, a cartoon, like almost style and to a shirt where you can see, you know, you know, where I grew up at from my accident, from my coaches, from me and Kevin relationship, all that would be in the shirt along right. with, you know, the, the, the dunks and the things that was captured, like the one I have on now, where, yeah. you know, my first guy ever jumped over. Um, we're going to have it on Ronnie Fields Elite um, on Instagram and, and then RonnieFields.com and then Ronnie Fields Elite uh, basketball program. And then we're going to have a site put up probably within the next three weeks. But right now, just be looking out for that. And we'll, we'll definitely promote that on our site for sure. Um, absolutely. It, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Zach, do you have anything to add before we let Ronnie out of here? Yeah, I just want to say thank you for your time. We learned so much from you. And it's great to finally be able to talk to you after all these years of hearing so much about you. And, uh, you know, just best of luck moving forward. And I'm going to get me one of those hoodies for sure. Yeah, me too. Uh-oh. We lost okay. him. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> what a great interview. I mean, Ronnie Fields was amazing, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely incredible. Just really enjoyed 
you know, learning more from him, hearing more about his story, because he's somebody that you heard a lot about growing up and to be able to actually talk to him now. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that we had this opportunity. So I, I'm just really grateful for it. I love yet again, with a lot of these guys that we get to talk to the ones that don't get to make it to the big leagues where you kind of question yourself going, why didn't they get there? It's really bizarre. Um, really good, positive attitude. Yeah. I, I think it shows, especially for our younger listeners, look, 450 guys make the NBA. I mean, that's a unbelievably, you probably have a better chance of getting hit by lightning 15 times in an hour than you do making the NBA. I mean, it's really, think about everybody that plays basketball. Think about every high school in the country. Think about there's, what, 12 to 15 kids on a basketball team, maybe, you know, yeah. depending on your school. And then think of all of those, only a certain amount go to college. Think about all the colleges and then think about out of all those players, 450 make it, not including the people that are already in the league. Yeah. So to get to the NBA is really a insane thing where sometimes it takes a little luck, timing. You know, I, I truly believe if he didn't have that accident, we would have we would have seen him play in the NBA because he just destroyed the CBA. And he played yeah. over yeah. Absolutely. And anybody you talk to, even after the injury, he was totally good enough. You know, if you talk to anybody that really has spent time around him, played against him or knew him, he was absolutely good enough. And I mean, he's a piece of it. And look what he's doing with the training with the kids. And I mean, yeah. what he's gone through throughout his career is going to be so valuable, like we talked about earlier. And as a coach myself, like I appreciate what he's doing to give back so much, especially when you experience some disappointment, you just love to see these guys, you know, come back, give back to the game and uh, really embrace what their career was. Yeah, he does. He, he, you definitely can tell that he does that for sure. And there's a lot of cool stuff he talked about too, like the playground aspect of it. I mean, me and Ronnie are probably around the same age. And I mean, I remember always going out and playing hoops. Yeah. Always park playing hoops you know what I mean like I didn't play in AAU or anything like that like I played you know I played rec, rec leagues you know I played for my schools but um he's right a lot of the game that I learned was just playing pickup ball at the park yeah you know what I mean? or like if you, or if your friend had like a good hoop you know you grab some kids in your neighborhood and you'd play like three on three or whatever and you, you're, he's right. You tried stuff in those games to see if you could do it. I, I mean, I remember, God, hours and hours playing basketball when I was a kid, and, and that is missing from the game. I truly yeah. believe that. And I think, I think it's a shame, you know. Um, the other thing, him talking about the AAU, only about five teams, you know, back then, that type of thing, and how, you know, nowadays it's like, it's, you know what we're doing, and this is kind of funny, and, it's, and, and I'm going to say this real quick. So if we got 450 kids that make the NBA, right, you know, or 450 players in general, so there's people because, you know, LeBron's not a kid. Um, it, to me, it's like it's getting so serious that it's almost taking the fun out of the game for the kids when they're younger. Not saying that you can't be talented and push yourself and whatnot, but it's it's they're losing a lot of like what the game is about. You know what I mean? Learning, losing about like how much teamwork is in the game. You brought up a great point about the Instagram and, and, you know, the Facebook and all the highlight stuff, but like 
you're not going to see highlights of people boxing out. You're not going to see highlights of people, you know, passing the ball unless it's like Jason Williams types passing, you know, but those type of things like falling on the floor for rebounds, those are intangibles like you talked about. And I think, you know, he brought that up too. Those are a lot of things that are missing in the game nowadays. So, so getting back to that fundamentals and like he said, he was just kind of a kid like enjoying playing and like, Oh, I'm just playing against better people. Like that was a pretty cool attitude to have because I think him almost being unaware was probably a good thing too. Oh yeah. It didn't get to his head. He worked hard. He continued. And the whole thing about the fouls, man, that's the truth. (laughs) Uh, That day, that's the truth. But I think what makes things so easy to accept is, I mean, look at the Shake Cons and the Esteban Weavers, how they have respect from all these yeah. great players in their city, yeah. too. Like Esteban Weaver talking about how he has the he has the city of Columbus, you know, and yeah. it's kind of like Ronnie Fields. He has the city of Chicago, but he also has the respect of guys like Kevin Garnett. And I mean, look at how everybody who we have on the show that went to that Nike camp, the one of the first names you hear is Ronnie Fields. And, sure. uh, to have their respect and a guy like Kevin Garnett's respect. I mean, that itself, that's something money can't buy. And then give him back. And then like, you know, if him and KG are still close, wouldn't be surprised if KG pops into his basketball camp. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's what's up. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. His story was great. I hope you guys research him. You know, I know when he gets his stuff up, I'm definitely going to buy a t-shirt for sure. Um, oh Yeah. I want to get me a few of those hoodies, man. <laughs> no, right? I mean, yeah. that was great. He was right about the Jumpman logo, too. He definitely did look like that, jumping over that guy for that. <laughs> no, sure. Hey, yet again, another great uh, another great episode, partner. I mean, I had a lot of fun. He was super cool with his time. He was really fun to talk to. Um, and that doesn't happen without people like you guys listening. I mean, it's been amazing. I can't believe all the the – Love you guys for giving us all the reviews. We're seeing some more reviews popping up. We appreciate that so much. You know, if, if you're a new listener, man, while you're listening right now, just hop on real quick. Give us a quick review. It really helps out. A couple stars, five stars for the cause. It makes a big difference. We're getting some really cool guests coming up. More in the queue. I mean, it's crazy how many of these we're doing a week now. It's nuts. It's like becoming yeah. a second job, but a job <laughs> we enjoy, which is kind of cool too. So, um, Anyway, thanks for all that love. We appreciate it. We don't hammer you on trying to get you to do a bunch of stuff for us other than just if you love the show, retweet it or, you know, send it out to your social media. It's the best way to get us more followers and get us bigger guests if you like what we're doing. And we love what we're doing. So we appreciate that. Zach, anything you want to add before we get on out here? Just huge thank you to Ronnie Fields, man. Um, Just one of my... I mean, idols growing up, he's an icon. And for him to share some of those Kevin Garnett stories, you know how much I love KG. I just appreciate the hell out of that. That was so cool. So just have an awesome time. Could you imagine somebody throwing shoes at Kevin Garnett's head? (laughs) God, man. Ronnie Field is probably the reason KJ is KG is, man. Yeah, that's like he's the reason Garnett's like talking shit to walls and things like that. So <laughs> but I will say I will say, man, watching Garnett live in the garden second row was the most incredible experience of my life. Just his pregame ritual, just bumping his head against the hoop stanchion of just everything. Just his intensity yeah. is incredible. And yeah. Shoot, Ronnie Fields had a lot to do with that, man. Yeah, it's kind of right. We we broke it here, man. People people find out we're broken here. So, 
Anyway, dude, enjoy the rest of your week, man. Stay safe and all that good stuff. Listeners, we love you. Not My House is out. Enjoy. Be safe.